Viktor Frankl was a neurologist and psychiatrist. His 1946 book, Man's Search for Meaning, tells the story of surviving Auschwitz. While in the concentration camps, among many horrors, he noticed a spike in prisoner deaths between Christmas and New Year. Many prisoners held out for a Christmas liberation and when Christmas came and went, without change, their hope and resilience died. He writes, the prisoner who had lost his faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. What and how we think about the future matters. Admiral Jim Stockdale was the highest ranking US military officer to be held in a Vietnamese prisoner of war camp. Imprisoned for eight years, tortured over 20 times without rights, release date or certainty of survival. He said this when asked how he did manage to survive. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life. The interviewer continues, well, who didn't make it out? That's easy, he says. The optimists, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter and Easter would come and go and Thanksgiving and then Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. You must never, he writes, confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose. With the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be, you need both. See, what and how we think about the future matters. In our culture, we don't spend a huge amount of time thinking about the future do, I mean, we, we plan and we save, but most of our focus is on the present, on the here, on the now. Everything is quick and immediate and now. But actually what these survivors are saying is that thinking with confidence about the future really matters. Survival in the darkest times depends on it. And you know, it actually sounds remarkably close to how the Bible talks about hope. Mostly when we talk about hope, um, it's synonymous with wishful thinking or, you know, vague optimism. It, I hope it's sunny tomorrow. I hope the interview goes okay. I cross your fingers, it, sort of it could go either way mentality. But when the Bible uses the language of hope, it has something entirely different in mind. The Amplified Bible defines it as the confident expectation of coming good. It's substantive, resilient confidence about the future. The idea that Something is sure, but just hasn't happened yet. The Hebrew word actually means to wait. To hope in God is to wait on God. There isn't any doubt about the, whether it's going to happen or not. It's just a case of waiting for it. And it's a powerful thing, this sort of hope, as both stories show, because it affects how we live in the present. Eugene Peterson says it really well. He says, hope is about the future, but it is for the present. It's about the future, but it is for the present. We need that at the moment, don't we? I mean, it's been hard. Perhaps you've experienced loss. Perhaps you've really struggled mentally or emotionally. 
We need hope at the moment, but not the fragile hope of wishful thinking, optimism, the, you know, the hope that uh, we're scared to lean on lest it break. What we need is robust hope, hope that, as Admiral Stockdale said, can live alongside the brutal facts of your current reality. And where do we find that sort of hope? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 onwards. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This is the Apostle Peter writing to Christians scattered throughout the surrounding regions. They were living under Emperor Nero's rule, which became increasingly barbaric in its persecution, just extraordinarily difficult times. And Peter's purpose in writing is to strengthen their resolve, that they might stand firm, he says in chapter five. He loves them and he wants to encourage them. He wants to help them be resilient. And the way he does it, nearly 2,000 years before Viktor Frankl or Jim Stockdale published their observations, is almost exactly the way they recognise it needs to be done. In order to strengthen their resolve in the present, Peter writes to them about the future. A future to hold on to with confidence. He writes to them about a hope, a living hope. And there are three really important things to recognise about it. And the first is this, that this living hope is anchored in the past. He writes, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was Peter who had followed Jesus for three years, convinced that he was the Messiah. But as Jesus was crucified and buried, it just all came crashing down. Bewildered, scared, hopeless. It seemed like everything had come to nothing, but it was also Peter who then met Jesus risen from the dead, talked with him, touched him, ate with him. Hope there died, came alive again in Peter. If Jesus rose from the dead, then that means that he is who they had believed him to be. If he rose from the dead, then the future is good and certain and sure. It's not just wishful thinking or baseless optimism or make-believe. It's grounded for Peter in the event of the resurrection of Jesus as certain and as sure and as tangible as Peter's experience of the risen Jesus. It's so important. The second thing is that this living hope is about the future. Peter writes, he has given us new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. And Peter's painting a picture for them of this wonderful future 
that they cannot lose. The language of inheritance is imagery from the Old Testament. And in one of the most profound moments, God says to the people of Israel, I am your inheritance. Peter uses that imagery here. This living hope is the unshakable certainty of one day seeing God face to face, of seeing him with our own eyes. It is the moment that all history is leading towards, when he will wipe away every tear, when he will make all things new, where there will be no more sickness or sadness or disease. This time to come. Catholic theologian um, Karl Rahner puts it beautifully. He says this, in this life, all our symphonies are unfinished. There is a completeness yet to come that we have to hold on to. And so Peter reminds them and us, the prize, the joy of heaven is ahead of you. And it cannot be taken away. It cannot perish. Don't ever stop thinking about that. What you think about the future matters. The third thing is that this living hope is for the present. Peter's purpose is to strengthen them in their present troubles. He writes, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You see, they still have trouble. Their circumstances haven't changed, but they also have joy. They greatly rejoice. Joy is what that future hope is producing in them, in the present, right there and then. The perspective of heaven is producing joy, but there's actually more here too. The unique and magnificent thing about Christian hope is that it's not just, it's not just that the future horizon is important and good to look at, but it's that the horizon itself has come near. He writes in verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end of result of your faith. You are receiving it. This is not just future hope as a perspective, but actual present experience. Because Jesus is alive, he has already begun to do what one day he will fully do. One day he will wipe away every tear from every eye, but he's already wiping them now. One day he will restore all things, but he's already restoring them now. One day we shall see him face to face, but we can already know him now. We get to taste and experience now, but one day, we will fully know. Our littlest, uh, Nora, was born last year, 25 weeks. And she was in the neonatal unit for 100 days, over 100 days. She, she was born weighing 500 grams, tiny, tiny. And she had so many wires and tubes going in and out of her breathing equipment in an incubator. She was so fragile and Lizzie and I used to pray for her and the babies, other babies in the neonatal unit there. And every night I would just sit next to her incubator amongst all these wires and noises and in that place of so much worry and anxiety and fear. 
and I would sing this song. There is a sound I love to hear. It's the sound of the Savior's robe as he walks into the room. And I would just picture Jesus walking into the room, walking between these incubators amidst all the fear, walking between all these babies, vulnerable and loved, walking with gentleness and peace and life that we might hear the sound of his robe. It's not just wishful thinking, but it's prayer. It's hope in the God who will one day wipe away every tear, but is also already doing it. This living hope is yours, says Peter. It's yours as you struggle under Roman persecution. Yours as you struggle in concentration camps. Yours as you struggle with global pandemics, as you struggle with the loss of those you love, of jobs and freedoms. It's yours as you sit and sing to poorly babies. It's yours, this living hope. I recently heard the story of the tsunami piano. Um, In 2011, Japan saw a tsunami that devastated much of the country's eastern coast, but amongst the wreckage of a school's gymnasium, they found this beaten up old piano. The instrument had been engulfed by flood water. It was badly damaged, but it was still basically in one piece. And the famed musician Sakamoto heard about the piano and he traveled to it because he wanted to hear the sound that it made. And so as he sits down to pray, to play, apprehensive, you know, what sound will come out of this wreck? What music could possibly emerge? And as he presses the key, the note is out of tune, it's discordant, but it is beautiful. What a picture of hope in the midst of the most brutal reality of life. Even after everything, the damaged, scarred piano still makes a sound. After everything, those broken people will gradually rebuild their lives. And we, though we might be battered by all sorts of storms, bearing scars of trouble and heartache, we can still hum with the sound of hope. Now, I remember sitting in that hospital room with Lizzie, my wife, her waters had gone at 23 weeks. Over the months before, we had been told so many times that we were losing Nora, that we had lost Nora. And somehow, miraculously, she pulled through. But this time, the doctors just couldn't give us any hope. We didn't have anything to cling to. All the statistics were against us and we had to face some horrible conversations. You know, we felt beaten and bruised, exhausted and just so weak. And I remember thinking, if Jesus rose from the dead, then that means that he is alive. And if he's alive, then he's with us. And if he's with us, then we do have hope. And so we sat on the bed and we prayed. We trust 
this little one into your hands. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what else to do. But we know that your hands are the best place for her to be. You know, those sorts of prayers, desperate and broken, the prayers that many of us would have prayed this year, right in the midst of pain, the prayers that we read again and again in the Psalms and, and even the sort of prayers that we hear Jesus utter on the cross, those sorts of prayers, though perhaps discordant and out of key, uttered with little strength and from scarred hearts, are just the very beautiful sounds of hope. I just finished with this image. It's called a super bloom. This is Death Valley in America, and um, it's the place they recorded the hottest ever temperature in the world. Normally, there's just nothing but sand and salt flats, just desert. It's too hot. There's just too little rain for things to survive. However, following a huge storm where in five hours they had nearly two years of rainfall, people were just amazed to see the desert floor covered in this beautiful bloom. Seeds buried too far below the surface normally to normally be reached by water had been activated in the storm. The God who will in the future make all things new is here now, working in our lives towards that same end. We don't see it all, but we do see bits. And in his hands, even the storms of our brokenness may create the conditions for seeds deep beneath the surface to sprout and bloom in our lives. Perhaps you're struggling at the moment. Perhaps you've lost hope. Perhaps you don't even feel like you have the energy for hope. Perhaps you've been let down so many times that hope just feels too risky, too fragile. Wherever you are today, hopeful or not, may you know this living hope that will never disappoint. May it sustain you and strengthen you, comfort and fill you, and may it give you joy, even where you are.